Good morning, patrons, and welcome to another episode of A Universe of Stories. Today, I am excited to introduce the author of our much-requested newsletter article, The Cruise and the Good Ship Enigma. And here to tell us more is archivist Susan Gordon. Thank you so much for joining and taking your time out of your schedule to talk with me today. You're completely welcome. So we're going to start off easy. I would love to start with your job. Okay. Most of our listeners are familiar with librarians who work with bestsellers and help get books for patrons. How does your job differ as an archivist librarian? It's much different. Okay. <laughs> Librarians deal with books. Archivists deal with manuscripts, original documents. At the Tennessee State Library and Archives, we have a, a large, large collection of manuscripts, personal papers, maps, Supreme Court cases. It's almost infinite, the uh, number of things and subjects we can cover. My job entails having a collection assigned to me. For instance, a collection of family papers that someone has donated to the State Library and Archives. And we are the State Library and Archives. We're not the Middle Tennessee Archives. We're the State Archives. I will go through the papers. Sometimes it's many boxes of items. Sometimes it's a diary. But if I can assign these family papers, I would go through them, organize them, assess their value, not their monetary value, but their value to history. Archivists need to be able to put a document into historical context. That's what I do. I uh, will then arrange the material into some type of logical order, chronological, alphabetical by name or topic, such as correspondence, accounts, brochures. It could be anything in these personal papers, and they could be 20th century or they could be 19th century, but we run the whole gamut. That sounds really interesting. Oh, it is. It so is. Basically, you have to kind of go through everything that comes into this building. And by going through it and kind of cataloging it, and you're enriching the archives. Correct. Because you're able to give us those materials, but in a, you know, a cohesive order for us to understand. You explained that much better than I did. <laughs> no, I think it sounds very interesting, honestly. So would you say that kind of helped propel you into this career, having that initial interest when you were younger? No question in my mind. Absolutely. And having an inspiring history teacher in high school helped too. Okay, going back to the Good Ship Enigma. Yes. You said in that article that the Good Ship Enigma was just hanging out in the miscellaneous papers section here at the State Library and Archives. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about how it was discovered and how you made the decision to take a closer look at the record? Okay, back up just a little bit there. Okay. Uh, it's the ship's log uh, is filed in the Tennessee Historical Society's miscellaneous collections. They're okay. miscellaneous papers. I was going through finding aid for that particular collection, and there listed among the items in the collection was ship's log the good ship enigma it just captured my eye and i thought i have to take a look at this and see what this is just you've got to be a little bit nosy to yeah. be an archivist <laughs> good to know yes yes <laughs> inquisitive nature probably mm -hmm. will help you in this career <laughs> indeed curiosity absolutely 
And then, then I uh, asked the runner to retrieve the item from the stacks, from the collections, and there it was on my desk. And I brought it with me just as an inspiration. Right. I know you can't see it. I uh, can see that it is very old, mm -hmm. and it looks very important. So I don't want to handle it that much. Okay. Well, I'm intimidating. I'm not trained for this, but it, it looks very interesting. Mm -hmm. I can see why this is something that would pique your interest. To be like, I need to know more about this good ship enigma. Mm -hmm. So this voyage takes place in the early 1900s? Correct. What did the <clears throat> world look like during that time? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Loaded uh, question. <laughs> there is almost a precise demarcation between the Victorian era and the Edwardian era, named, of course, for Queen Victoria, who passed away in 1901, mm -hmm. and her son, the Prince of Wales, who became King Edward. Of course, they take their names from those figures. Compared to the Victorian era, Edwardian times were electrifying. H.G. Wells remarked Queen Victoria had sat on England like a great paperweight for 64 years. Wow. That's how long she reigned. And you hear about the Victorian era or mm -hmm. something that is Victorian. Of course, that refers to her. And it was though her death at the turn of the century gave Englishmen permission to have fun. It was like a freedom. Yes, exactly. Now, at the time of the cruise in 1909, geopolitical tensions in Europe were strengthening, and those would erupt soon enough. The flourishing British upper class and patrician families had so much leisure time that they were able to indulge themselves in sensual pleasures and social pursuits like art, salons, high society and high tea, country weekends at the estate in the country, right. sport, romantic liaisons. The time was nearing the Great War. Everything in Europe going on in this period, 1909, early 20th century, is leading up to the outbreak of the Great War. To stop and consider this voyage, this cruise that took place in 1909, was just five years removed from the outbreak of World War One. Just kind of blows me away. These six crewmen, two English, two Scottish, and two Americans, set sail on July the 1st, 1909, nearly 100 years ago, and stopped at various places along the way in the Channel Islands, Cherbourg, France. These guys embodied the Edwardian disposition. They were gentlemen. They were of the genteel class. This was a pleasure cruise. They had fun. <laughs> These guys had a blast on this cruise. Let me read from the log's title page. It kind of presages the cruise antics. Okay, here we go. The Cruise of the Good Ship Enigma, being a chronicle of the scandalous maritime performances of two Scotchmen, two Englishmen, and two Americans. To wit, Willie Russell popularly known as McTavish, a bra-brecked man frae the Helens, Major Monson, 
the warlike defender of an Englishman's home, Jack King, the straw partition magnet. I have no idea what that <laughs> means. Uh, John Jose, uh, the notorious defacer of our public thoroughfares. Doc Lecron, the bloodthirsty torturer of dental fame. And Dan Hunting, the jerry-building king. That name, that moniker will become obvious later when I tell you a little bit about what I found about these guys. The preface that the guys wrote to this ship's log, it's not really a log. It's written as a retrospect of a cruise. Uh, the cruise took place in 1909. It is a beautiful piece of British satire. You've got to have an appreciation of British humor to really appreciate going through this log. For instance, the very smart preface states, should the before-mentioned worthies peruse this astounding volume, let him remember that the truth has prevailed only when more interesting than fiction. <laughs> so that kind of sets you up for what you can find <laughs> in the rest of this log. Yes. And I'm using quotations Yes, here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, that's funny because our next question was, this is documented as a ship's log. Mm-hmm but how does this differ from other ship logs that you've actually, you know, seen? And I guess we've just kind of had our we, answer. We did. So basically, this is going to be a little bit more fun than a regular ship's log. Right, right. These guys are uh, writing this, of course, post-cruise. You're reading it as though they're six bumbling stooges <laughs> trying to navigate the English Channel. It's complete satire. Surely the story is based on true events from their uh, journey through the Channel Islands and back to Southampton. Well, looking at the log, um, I see that, you know, it's it's very, it's very much an older mm -hmm, item. Mm -hmm. You know, you see some wear and tear, but when we were talking about it and from your article, you mentioned that there were pictures included? In yes, the yes, there are. It's illustrated. Uh, oh, someone, someone took a camera. Here you can see, here's an example oh, wow. of uh, some of the pictures. Of course, they're, they're period pictures. They're right. uh, sepia tone. Right, for those of you listening, sepia toned, you can see they're a little bit dated, but they're actually... They look pretty nice considering what the time period yes, was. Yes, yes. Uh, because of the paper that they're printed on, some of them are just a tiny bit out of focus, or they look that way. But we have some amazing photos. Just looking at them right now, you can see um, a view overlooking the cliffs of an ocean. You can see um, part of the bow of the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's in the rigging, which is really cool. Yes, yes. The crew here, a uh, great picture of them in their oil skins. Oh, very nice. Which, of course, was uh, fabric treated with oil, you know, before raincoats. Water resistant. Water resistant, exactly. Right. They look very sporty. <laughs> if I do well, say so. It, it looks like, uh, they, they look like the, uh, what is it? I was going to say the people from the Monty Python. That's exactly what it reminds me of. They kind of do. But they, they look like uh, late 19th century, early 20th century mariners. Yeah, they kind of uh, do. Mm -hmm. Kind of like uh, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Yeah, and a little keep, bit. Keep that in mind. <laughs> oh, okay. Keep that in mind, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Albatross is coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
I see you're well read. Yeah, English major. <laughs> oh, good, good. But a normal ship's log will give things like longitude and latitude and weather and stuff like that. This is a narrative of their voyage. You almost have to wonder if they wrote this entirely to entertain themselves rather than any kind of real inf information to be handed I, down. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's true. And especially I'm, this is the Edwardian period where you said that, you know, kind of frivolous behavior was back in mm -hmm, action. Mm -hmm. That would totally make sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's really cool how it yeah. kind of ties in together. So we're looking at some right now. I can see how fancy these boys look. Were there any other pictures besides the ship's crew of people that were recognizable? Yes. Yes, I was, I was thrilled to be going through the log. And at the end, where the narrative ends, there are photographs that were taken on land, loose photographs of things not connected with the voyage. And one of them, I turned the page and I thought, I see this gentleman, an obvious gentleman with his top hat and distinguished looking gent. He looked an awfully much like George the Fifth, and I looked at him more, and I saw that next to him was standing this tall lady, Queen Mary. Oh, wow. Yes, so there they were at some type of lawn party. <laughs> Your imagination just can fly away. You imagine them being at a party at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight, where Victoria had built a home, and George particularly loved that house. So, okay, let's talk about this again because we we know that we have a crew of very interesting characters, mm -hmm. but now we're talking about King George yes. and Queen Mary. Yes, yes. That is insane right. to think about. So that would have to make the writing of this log a couple of years after 1909. Because, right. Uh, well, uh, never mind, George could have been Prince of Wales when that photograph was taken. He didn't become king until 1911. Hmm. So it's interesting to think about the, these characters who we don't know that much about would be kind of rubbing elbows with some very prestigious historical right. figures. Right. And so, okay, moving from that. Now, I know that we had talked about there was a romance involved somewhere? Only that it is implied. Oh. I'm going to ask you to wait to read the article when it comes out. Oh, she's <laughs> leaving us in suspense. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine. It just mm -hmm. gives us something to look forward yeah. to. Did you hear that, guys? There's yeah. going to be a romance coming. <laughs> but, yes, the uh, I have written an article about the narrative, and it's going to be published in the spring issue of the Tennessee Historical Quarterly. Oh, very nice. Uh, so I'm thrilled about that, and hopefully word will get out. Right, absolutely. Uh, that the well, it is right now. <laughs> that the State Library and Archives has millions, literally millions, of documents, maps, diaries, personal papers. Ship logs. Yes, ship's ship logs. Ship logs, right. quotations. That's right, there. that's right. <laughs> More like a party log. That's okay. <laughs> they were party animals. You can the, the, right. <laughs> well, you know what? That's perfectly fine. They were enjoying themselves. They were. <laughs> you said earlier that this ship's log was just packed with British humor. 
dry, sarcastic. Can you give us a few examples of this? I'll be happy to. The title page was an example. A very fun way to start things yes, off. Yes, yes. And the uh, preface, we're not going to say anything in this log that unless it was more interesting than fiction, right. we're, we're not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of sets them up as an unreliable narrator, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we can kind of follow them where they went. The way it's written is obviously a period piece. They write that the voyage commenced with superhuman effort and that the uh, the travelers entertained themselves with scampish airs. Scampish uh, airs. <laughs> that Doc and Dan style the music is chaste and melodious. Would the narrative be taken literally? The crew's nautical skills were not much beyond basic. The way it's written, the ship was so utterly mishandled that it's on its first night out, they pronounced it lost. (laughs) (laughs) The second morning out, the atmosphere was just filled with this fine mist, making vision almost impossible. Major Monson, it was said in the uh, log, was near hysteria, quote, at the prospect of blowing the foghorn for other purposes than annoying his friends. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Night came, was sublime, but even so, they again pronounced the ship lost, and they decided that in guessing their nautical position, we commenced our arduous duties by lashing the tiller and comfortably ensconcing ourselves in our deck chairs. At daybreak next day, High above deck in the rigging, Dan, he was observing the sea. I don't know, but high above... He was on lookout. Right, he was on lookout. High above the deck in the ship's rigging, Dan sighted the island of Alderney, and that's the northernmost of the Channel Islands, and the crew declared his prize to be a round of drinks. Mm. And then the log states, inasmuch as he was aloft, these were at once consumed by his friends. (laughs) They partook of his uh, reward. (laughs) They're probably like, I'm sure he would want this to happen. At another point when they were lost, they determined their position to be somewhere south and west, but maybe north and east of the Cascade Lights. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just filled with humor and... Antics that they pulled on each other. Oh, yeah, there were major antics. Well, kind of hearing these different stories and whatnot, and, you know, we hear that they were technically lost at sea, Mm -hmm. lost at sea um, two different times. Um, It seems like this voyage was kind of more of a comedy of errors. (laughs) Did anything go right for this crew? Well, that's the way it's written. Right. uh, As a satire. Right. Right. That, yes, it would be a comedy of errors if if, (laughs) uh, that's what really happened. A couple of points along the voyage, four of the guys individually excused themselves for various reasons, and that's where one of them is the implied romance. Ah. Yes. They stopped at various points along the way, and during the research of this ship and these men, I googled some of the places that they mentioned in the log. 
And one of them was the Palm Door Hotel in uh, St. Helier on uh, the island of Jersey, which is more French. I googled the Palm Door Hotel and discovered that it's still in existence. Very cool. They had a contact link on their website. So I wrote to them. I told them about the log and did they have any photographs of the Palm Door Hotel during that period right. or any type of photograph of an artist fact or an advertisement for the hotel and I got in touch with Ruby Legal at the Palm Door Hotel. It's now a five-star hotel and she sent a couple of items from their archives. Hopefully one of those will show up in the article to be published this spring. Oh. Yeah, Ruby will be getting a complimentary copy of, of the THQ. <laughs> it's the least we could do, right? Mm -hmm. So I've heard through the grapevine that you have written an article to be published in a very famous journal about our good ship Enigma. So we want to congratulate you on it, um, first off. And then secondly, please tell us what journal and a little bit about your paper. Okay. The Tennessee Historical Quarterly is the state's history journal. Every article in the quarterly is devoted to some aspect of Tennessee history. Now you think, well, what does this voyage have to do with Tennessee history? I'm still pondering that one. <laughs> the, the only connection it has is that it's in the collections right. of the Tennessee Historical Society. It has no known provenance. Don't know where it came from. It was just sitting there waiting to be found. And the article, it's basically just a rehash or a story about a story. It's not analytical. It's just simply a story about the cruise of the good ship Enigma. Mm. So look for that in the coming months. So you stay tuned. <laughs> right. It's going to yeah. be coming out. And the, uh, it, the Tennessee Historical Society publishes the quarterly. So they were particularly interested in this right. uh, because it technically belongs to the Tennessee Historical Society. It is interesting to kind of think about why this would be included. Right. A ship's log right. <laughs> like this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that might tie in or what we could possibly do with it since it is a part of our collection. So mm -hmm. Someone could have bought it at a flea market and given it to the Tennessee Historical Society. They, there was a time when they just accepted anything that was given to them. This would have been an interesting curiosity that, uh, that they might be interested in, and, and they included it in their miscellaneous papers. And it definitely would And I'm glad that. they did. Absolutely. <laughs> so you were able to find it and kind of bring it to life. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's going to be amazing. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so, too. Um, I think I think you're going to do a fantastic job with it. And well, we thank you. We can't wait to, to be able to read that. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to the other installment about the romance oh. <laughs> that we were left in anticipation there's, there's about. There's really not much to it. <laughs> Seriously. But enough for an article about it. <laughs> no, it, the whole article is not... <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's Seriously, it's just an implied... Romance. We don't get any juicy details, but uh, for the Edward Edwardian period, though, we'll take what we can get. We'll right? take what you can get. That's exactly. right. Now, the last question we're going to do is going to be really easy because we are librarians, even though we are in different fields. Um, I must ask you: Do you have a favorite book that you would like to share with our listeners? Anything written by Thomas Hardy. Oh, that's a good one. 
He's very popular. Mm -hmm. And it would be of that late 19th century period, that late Victorian era. Uh, I think he published into the 20th century, I think. Possibly. Yeah, some of the poems that he, uh, when Jude the Obscure was so uh, criticized, he kind of painted his desire to write novels. Right. And he turned more towards poetry. Oh, that's interesting. At that time, yeah. Thomas Hardy, was he tested the Nurburgrills? Yes. 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 I love yes. that book. Yeah. The Mayor of Casterbridge. Yes. And Jude the Obscure. I that's the that only book, and I hate to tell a librarian this, but I was <laughs> reading a, a paper copy of it when I was a younger lass. If you know the story of Jude the Obscure, you'll realize why I pitched it across the room. <laughs> So don't bring that up. So <laughs> it's a sore subject. Re read you the obscure and see what your reaction is. On. <laughs> and coming next, tune in for next week's episode of Did You Toss That Book Across the Room? <laughs> So thank you so much, Susan, for coming and talking with us and giving us a rare dive into the good ship Enigma, which I'm so glad you found this ship's log and were able to write this article about and kind of do some research. We certainly can't wait to read the article, and we will include links to it as soon as it is out. And hopefully we can talk to you again about other interesting things in our archives. Well, thank you. And thank you, patrons, for visiting the State Library and Archives.